Hello, this is Matt Murray, the worship pastor here at Glen Owen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, December 12, 2021. Hey everyone, I'm John Vanderbilt. Hi, I'm Simone Helpin. And I'm Kelly Brady, and this is the Next Level Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. We've been talking Christmas movies before the podcast. That Christmas, we will not repeat. Christmas parties, <laughs> Christmas movies, family. GEBC staff and elder Christmas party tonight. That's fun. Where do you go? Where's that? We are going to the marches are hosting. Oh, nice. So we'll have some fun together. What does this look like? Do you play games? Do you sing carols? Yeah, we sing carols. We go uh, through the neighborhood in groups (laughs) and uh, sing carols. No, we share the gospel. Actually, it's it's got more of a strat op flair to it. (laughs) You know. A win initiative okay. kind of meeting. Okay. Everybody it's, wants to do that for Christmas. Yeah. We, we eat a lot of food. Okay. We, we put somebody in the center of the circle and then we say, everybody says nice things about them <laughs> so that we go into the Christmas season. You know what's Just, pathetic? I was going to make a joke about where we were meeting and I tried to think of like the most crunk, awesome mm-hmm. club I could think of. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think of one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there are not any. I was like, wow. So it's not just me then. We have a lot of fun. We do a gift fun gift thing and we eat food That's together fun. and it's just a good time is to be it, together. Do you bring your um, spouses? Yeah. Yep. Spouses. People, but not kids. No kids. I'd be a lot of people. It would be way too many and it wouldn't be fun with them. There. <laughs> <laughs> kids ruin Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly dresses up in a Santa okay. uh, outfit and gives, uh, you know, gifts I'm, to everybody no. and it's a lot <laughs> of fun. Stop listening to John. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to. What is the name of that we, movie that's it's placed at Christmas seasonally? Die Hard. Everybody. But there's a, <laughs> but there's a big argument about it. Is it a Christmas movie? Is it a Christmas movie? It's totally a vacation. That's your, been on like repeat on like. What's your favorite Christmas TV? movie? I really like Home Alone. Yeah, it's a, it's a classic. Yeah, it's a good. Our family loves it. We watch all the time. We all, our kids also have a tradition of watching the Polar Express. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like so on, long on Christmas Eve. It's probably not that long, but it feels long. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. We tried to watch that movie a few years ago, uh, and uh, we couldn't get past the beginning, the train scene, because the two dudes are like, you know, it's it's in that it's in that <laughs> the scary dudes on the yeah, top. Yeah, they're kind of scary. <laughs> I know. Like they're, I mean, no, they're like normal looking guys, yeah. but the CG is just the the animation yeah. is kind of weird. So we watch it as like when we're all together with like our extended family, like my sister, like they'll all watch it together and we don't do this much anymore, but they'll all watch it together. Like at my parents' house, all the grandkids or whatever. And there was one like cousin who was like a little bit older and shouldn't have been afraid, but got like totally scared and started crying. <laughs> so now it's like a family yeah. joke to make, kind of make fun of him about it. That's so mean. <laughs> Yeah. But the dudes are kind of creepy. And, yeah, and it, I, one, one of my yeah. sons, I can't remember which one, but he was like, Dad, is this supposed to be scary? And I yeah. was like, yeah, it's kind of weird. And we stopped it. What is the point of the movie? Just give me the quick, sorry it's for about any make, listeners. Who, it's, about, uh, it's about that you have to believe in Santa. It's this, it's this uh, you can, yeah, there's all sorts of layers to it. It's, but okay. Does it end up being really have, good? I, I think it's a good movie. Okay. But no. it's, it's no. not like, it's not like a redemptive, like, okay. It's just 
fun it's not Christmas. Like four Christmases with Fitzvon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's nothing as yeah. funny as that. Christmas vacation. It's yeah. Elf. It's not anything, you know. Okay. Like, you know, those deep and meaningful ones. Our yeah. go-to exactly. go is Elf. We watch it uh, usually the day after Thanksgiving. Mm. Kick off the season. Get, get in the spirit. Our, get in the spirit. Yeah. Get in the spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of our go-to. Do you have one, Kelly? But personally, I like Christmas vacation. I love um, It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. Traditional. I, I, still I can watch it over mm-hmm. and over and over. There's a list of classics. I'm that living I have not a seen. wonderful uh, life, mm-hmm. doggone it. Yeah. Every is time it, about. Does it age well? Is it. I, I haven't seen it's, it. It's excellent. Yeah. It's okay. Great. There's a list of those famous yeah. cr- old Christmas movies from what, the 60s, 50s? Yeah. I haven't I seen any of them. This one's from the 40s. Let's okay, 40s? There's, yeah. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's a ton of, of like Christmas, like old Christmas movies that. Right. 1946. Wow. wow. Okay. Turn on the Hallmark Channel and you also Frank get Frank Capra. Yeah. No, I haven't seen any you of those. You gotta watch it, man. It's awesome. What about, what about you, Simone? I mean, I did say it. I don't recommend it for children, but The Family Stone really is my favorite. I can't wait Christmas. to watch it It's now. good. I think it's good. You'll have to report back. I mean, it's... It's about a dysfunctional family, so there's a there's an element of like you kind of relate to this. Like Chris, you have all these expectations that Christmas is going to look a certain way, and then you know and go a different direction. Yeah. It's endearing. So, how do we feel about uh, yesterday, Sunday? Sunday was so much fun. The music was amazing, Matt. Thanks for all your yeah. hard work. We had a, we, we had a string trio. Mm-hmm. That was great. Yeah, mm-hmm. it sounded awesome. Yeah. It was a beautiful. They're, they're all three of them. They're Touch. all professionals. They. You know, they play in symphonies and stuff. Wow. And, yeah. Lucky us. They were great. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. full to both services. Yeah. A lot and of people. Sec- second service, I have been just overwhelmed, and by that I mean encouraged, by the volume of singing. Getting mm. people with masks off mm-hmm. and hearing once again the congregation singing oh, is nice. so encouraging. Yeah. There Agreed. was a neat moment. There was a family sitting in front of me, and I think it was the dad of the family, his mom, an elderly woman next to him and she was just adorable and sweet and engaged, but she couldn't get up and down very easily or really at all without him helping her. And when we sang Holy Night, she was determined to get up and it was, I mean, it really did bring tears to my eyes and he was so quick to help her and get her to stand up. And she only stood for maybe a couple of refrains whatever they're called yeah. <laughs> verses verses <laughs> stanzas whatever lines screens anyway um <laughs> and oh it was it gave me like a little glimpse of heaven like oh, are we gonna just try so man. hard you know whatever it takes to just worship and oh yeah. it was one of my favorite oh, parts cool. of the service is watching her no we who, were saying i i oh, i know her name but it's kelsey kelsey yeah is phenomenal she's very good it's the vocalist, yeah, the female yeah. vocalist. Yes. Yeah, she's a, she's a weedy. Yeah, right? she did an excellent okay. job of leading in those. I heard we gave away. So first service, I forgot. Second service, I announced that if you're a college kid here, you're headed home for Christmas, we have a special gift for you. How many gifts did we give out? I, I think the total was like 70 gift bags. What? Yeah, 70 college students here yesterday. Seven zero. Oh my God. And we That's only nice. announced it in one service. Right. And most of them are in that service. So it was, but. I, I had no idea we had that many. Yeah. Co- okay. Yep. Well, that's great. A, we're trying to figure out like transportation and yeah. uh, helping kids that don't have rides get over here. And it's, it's great. They can walk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were razzing before we get into questions. We were razzing Kelly a little bit this morning about getting emotional, but man, I really love that you, that I'm a crybaby. <laughs> yeah. You're not a crybaby. I mean, you, you, it, it was great. It was just a, I felt like it was a raw moment and 
you know, your passion came through and, you know, I would not really want to be a part of a church where that was, you know, bridled or held back or, you know, for the sake of production or for the sake of, you know, like I just appreciate it. I love that I can make fun of you for it, (laughs) but like at the end of the day, really appreciate it. Agreed. Go team. Go team. So, all right. um, Let's, let's get into some questions. Somebody won't let go of Revelation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. First question. <laughs> someone's, someone's still reading through the book of Revelation. I love it. I love it. Is, this is an awesome question. I yeah. actually have never even thought about this question. This is, no. this is great. So here, here we go. In Revelation 21.1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I understand why there would be, where I understand why there would need to be a new earth, but I'm wondering why there needs to be a new heaven. What about the first heaven needs to pass away? Yeah, so the simplest explanation, and it is a great question, the simplest explanation is there are different types of heaven or there are different locations, geographies. Uh, so the, there is, and if you do a quick internet search, um, you'll, quick, you'll see that there is as many as three heavens, Dante had, uh, the ancient world talked about seven levels to heaven, but scripture typically identifies at least three reference when, when the word heaven is used. So um, there is the heaven where God dwells, where the spirit of God dwells. It's that eternal, perfect, uncorrupted uh, place of when you're in the presence of God. That's that's one referent. Uh, but then there's a second. It's what is described in the Old Testament or in the uh, the Genesis account as the firmament. Um, and it's it's what we see when we look up. It's where birds fly, and so where airplanes fly. I guess you could say. You know, it's so there are different types of heaven. Paul says, I think it's Second Corinthians twelve. I should have looked it up. Uh, Paul says, I know a man that was caught up to the third heaven. And so there's this third level. And sometimes mm-hmm. uh, scholars will talk about the, that, uh, that space beyond the firmament, kind of at a solar system level, a celestial. Anyway, so the short answer is there's different, different types of heavens. So when you read a scripture, you need to try to bring into focus what is the context requiring. I think Revelation 21 verse 1 is referring to the needed change, uh, renewal of that space where birds fly. It's a part of the corrupted world, the atmosphere in which we, it's a part of the, the earthly realm. Uh, although not a part of the earth, you know, it's above the earth. Does that make sense? Yeah. The new sky and the new earth or whatever, however you want. Yeah, You can say the new sky. That'd be a good. Mm -hmm. It's good. All right. All right. And now we are done with revelation. (laughs) (laughs) Keep the questions coming. If you're still reading through the book. Is there a, is there a parallel with that, with how the temple was constructed from the Holy of Holies to the outer courts to, yeah, you could make a, right. So, like the Holy of Holies is not going to be affected, right? Like, because that's where, symbolically so, speaking, because yeah. that's where the presence of God yeah, that's is. that's great. Like, so a lot of people have, uh, if you, you could use concentric circles to talk about a, approaching the presence of God. And um, 
and so the temple and the tabernacle had these inner courts, outer courts, holy of holies, the interior portion of the temple. And so, yes, you could say earth, heavens, and then the heavenly realms, right. and then the presence of God. I mean, you could talk about approaching God that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, here's, here's a question about, we, you know, we, we, yesterday we gave away some more money. Um, and here's a question about that. I love this that. question. <laughs> uh, so how much money are we going to give away? How do we know we won't need the money at some point? We're going to give it all away. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to give away, uh, this will be our third week coming up. So next weekend we'll give away another $100,000. I'll keep you in suspense about who's going to receive that, the organization. Um, so we're going to give away $300,000. And uh, I predict... Well, just to answer Why don't the question. Why do you prophesy right now? Prophecy. Uh, we don't know <laughs> we will that need. We, we won't <laughs> need it. In fact, I predict, I predict we will at some point in the future look back and say, gosh, sure would be nice to have that 300 grand we gave away. <laughs> and here's the point, uh, for me anyway, just as individual households must exercise faith, sure. it's it's essential that congregations exercise faith together. If we live by the dread that we may need the money in the future, then we probably won't take financial steps of faith. That's why I said in both services and went out of my way to do so, two things can cripple a church. Not having enough money to get the ministry done, the people of God not funding the ministry can be really hard on a church. And then a church having too much money. And the reason having too much money can cripple a church is it becomes about preserving the money. And it's in stockpiling it. And it becomes about security and rather than taking risks and trusting the Lord. And so I, I predict there will come a time when we say, well, I wish we had that 300000 We could use that right now. But, you know, as best we know it, under the leadership of God and through prayerful contemplation and the exercise of wisdom, we have set a course where we're not going to stockpile money. And John, I forget what our actual policy is. I think it's three months of expenses. Once we get beyond three months of expenses, Correct. where is it? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. And it's, it's not a, it's, it's a, it's a posture, it's a policy, but it, it's not a hard and fast rule. We've actually been sitting on this money for some time and prayerfully considering what, what how would the Lord have us deploy it, invest it in kingdom ministry. So mm-hmm. do you guys do any um, strategic planning around how you're going to raise your operating budget each year? Or is it literally just based on what comes in? I mean, do you do any asks or meet with people? No. Wow. That is faith. There is a, um, so there is a posture at Glen Allen Bible Church that there are very, very few people who know um, what is contributed and who is contributing it. Mm -hmm. So it's very much a posture of um, these are offerings that people are giving out of their, their income to the church for the ministry. Mm-hmm. So um, there are times when that, uh, that can be kind of frustrating mm-hmm. because you're like, well, I wonder, are, are they going to give what they gave last year? Mm-hmm. Or, you know? mm-hmm. So our elder board does not know how much uh, individual people give, when they give, or any of that. Um, uh, 
and our pastoral staff outside of myself don't know, don't have access to that information. So Kelly doesn't know who the, who our biggest topper, topper, yeah, or or who gives the most or who gives Mm -hmm. the most frequently or, Mm -hmm. you know, that sort of a thing. So we do, we have done some strategic, I would say asking, not really, but just um, around the Engage 2020 campaign to... Because that was a separate yeah, capital. Right. It was a unique season mm-hmm. for us. Um, it was, but it was different than mm-hmm. sort of the mm-hmm. kind of normally how that type of uh, campaigning is done in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a church. So, yeah, so we, we, um, we try to cast uh, a compelling vision of what we're doing, where mm-hmm. we're going, and then at the same time hold it... Um, you know, this right. is, we're a church and you if should get to provides. your church yeah. and God provides. Yeah. And, and, um, and so, yeah, when we set a budget, um, it's, it's not, uh, one of the factors is what we've brought in, mm-hmm. in offering people, what people are offering, what they gave last year. Right. but there's right. a, this, the most, the driving factor in the creation of the budget is what we want to, what we feel like God has given us to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, um, Sometimes the the budget is like less than the year previous because we feel like we're in a mm-hmm. different kind of a season, and mm-hmm. then we'll have a budget that's significantly more percentage wise than it was the year before because we feel like there's some things that God has put before us that we mm-hmm. want to try to achieve, and we're going to have to to uh, that, increase our offerings. I and think faith. that's good for the church at large to know. I mean, maybe everyone does, and I'm just getting filled in, but no. um, I think it's helpful to know as especially in light of $300,000 being given away. It mm-hmm. just really does show that, you know, you're doing your best to live in that middle ground of not having too much and also being faithful to what God's entrusted you with. Mm-hmm. So I love that. That's, that's encouraging to hear. What would, what would be the, so you, you mentioned Kelly last week, you said, you know, several years ago, the elders decided we wouldn't be a bank. Um, what would be what would be the the harm? What would be the temptation in you know as you say stockpiling money, just not giving that much away, just holding it up? Like we got a campus coming up next year. We've yeah, got yeah. we've got we, and we you know maybe we have two campuses coming up in the next yeah. couple of years. Like yeah. what would be uh, the temptations? What would be the possible pitfalls of keeping large sums of money for a rainy day, so well, to speak? I. So just as individuals has to fit through the, the eye of a needle, a camel has, you know, we have to, if, if you're not familiar with the biblical reference, you know, you can't serve both God and money mm-hmm. and churches can fall into the trap of serving their money rather than mobilizing their money and seeing their money as a tool. I mean, I'll be frank with you. There are churches in our area that have large endowments. So let's just picture in your mind's eye, you know, a million dollars set aside for this or that. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying you have to be careful there because the minute you, you stockpile, uh, and it, it depends on your budget. I mean, uh, a million dollars would be a lot to have on the sidelines for us, uh, given our budget. Uh, but the minute you have a million, let's say, dedicated to paying the pastor's salary year over year, you just, you reduce, or whatever it's dedicated to, the minute you set up an endowment, then the congregation hears, or it, 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 it's implied, well, the urgency's not there. Or there's, you have to work to cast other urgencies. Yeah. And I just, you just have to be really, there's a lot of comfort, a lot of comfort in having money. 
And comfort is, can be contrary to mission. Mm-hmm. Mission is, it, living on mission is risky. It can be uncomfortable. It stretches us. And, and just when churches stockpile money, it can, it doesn't always, but it can undermine mission. Now, I should also say, you know, if your pastors and elders are doing nothing but raising money, in other words, there's not enough money to accomplish the mission, you don't have enough to get the work done, then that can be a complete energy drain as well. So there, as Simone pointed out, there's this, we want, there's this middle ground mm-hmm. where we want to see the money as something to steward. It, it is a tool and to make sure we have enough tool to get done what the Lord has called us to get done, not too little so that it's a burden, not too much so that it creates um, passivity or apathy. So that's kind of the, mm-hmm. that's our posture around here. We're just trying to be sensitive to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like the NFL player that signs a big contract and then the next year, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> He's lost his motivation. Right. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, let's go to the next question. I was thrown by your description of King David as basically a perpetrator. I guess it makes sense, but who is left to look up to in scripture? <laughs> Jesus. And here comes the softball. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean that in a disrespectful way. But. Well, how many of us have sat in Bible studies where it's, the Bible studies essentially, I mean, I've seen these Bible studies. The title is Be Like David. Mm. Yes. I've sat right. in them. I haven't sat in them. But You've sat in them? Yeah, I've sat in a Bible study. I haven't sat in one. Texas Yeehaw. boy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the days of those Bible studies, I, those types of Bible studies are full of all types of trouble. It, it, makes, it makes studying the Bible about looking for moral examples mm-hmm. or lifestyle examples. And don't get me wrong, there are examples offered in Scripture that are worth looking up to, but there's no singular example yeah. offered in Scripture other than Jesus. Mm-hmm. There are moments where people... Have shining moments. Right, and they demonstrated faith. They demonstrated character qualities that we would say, look at this. But they're also human, so they have plenty of mm-hmm. mess-ups. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that someone picked up on the fact that I asked, I think in both services, are we w- willing to look honestly at these patriarchs? Because I, in the church I grew up in, I never heard that David committed crimes. Crimes against individuals. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't. Yeah. Well, and, mm-hmm. in, and to make it a little more confusing, the Bible does speak highly of yeah. David. Yeah. In the scriptures, the, the authors yeah. inspired by the Holy Spirit say yeah. things like he was a man after God's, God's own, own heart, heart right? Yeah. Like yeah. that's something where you're like, well, mm-hmm. I want that to be true for me. Well, and we, have to, like we have to sort through what that means. Yeah. What, what is. What is <laughs> the Lord expressing about David. What does he see in David? And David ran well for a season. The, I think it was seven years, am I getting this right, that he was in the wilderness as Saul chased him around and he patiently mm-hmm. waited on the Lord mm-hmm. to elevate him. It might've been longer than that. I'm drawing a blank. Anyway, several times having the opportunity to kill Saul mm-hmm. and, and not, and he just, he really demonstrated a patience and a confidence, a faith in, in that God was going to do what God was going to do in God's timing. But then once King, he didn't run real well mm-hmm. and he finished mm-hmm. uh, poorly yeah. in, in many respects. And his, his family fell apart and the kingdom was divided yeah. as a result of his sin. 
So, so you, John, you bring up like some Bible studies and some other things. Like, do do you think we shouldn't do that as a, as the church? Do you think we should not set you know programming and other things? Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. <laughs> right, like stuff like that. Should that? I don't think there's anything wrong with teaching about the the good that we see in in people's lives in Scripture that God um, praises and. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I think there's, there's plenty of things that we can see in the lives of people. I think it's dangerous to say, to not share the, the whole story of those characters when, mm-hmm. we, when we know, you know that there's other things going on. What's difficult is, like, I'll just, I mean, there's the text that we have coming up this week is all about Joseph. I'm not clear what the dark side of Joseph is mm-hmm. because there's a lot of good that Joseph does in... Matthew 18, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And that's really the snapshot we get of Joseph. Mm-hmm. It would be, uh, I think I would do a disservice to the text to say, well, there's probably a dark side to Joseph that we don't know about, so be careful. But I want to say, be like Joseph in the way that Joseph listened to God, honored God, right. and, mm-hmm. and, and made a life possible for in many ways, for our Messiah, <laughs> like mm-hmm. his service to Jesus, his adopted son. Like the takeaway f- isn't fully just be like Joseph. Like if that's where we end, I think there's some danger in glorifying, yeah. you well, know, or, our- or taking, sorry, or taking somebody like uh, David and, and turning it into be like David and slay your giants. The, the giants in your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, right, that's right, not right. what well, was going on. Like, our flesh, our flesh, and I mean that negatively, our flesh loves the call to action mm. because we hear it and receive it too often as you can do this. And the testimony of Scripture is not that. The testimony of Scripture, John 15, uh, is apart from him, we can do zippo, zilch, nothing. Mm. And so I think it's great to hold Joseph up in that shining moment of caring for Mary and trusting in the angelic appearing. That's, that's terrific. But the takeaway can't be, it, it must be ultimately Joseph depended. Mm-hmm. He trusted in another. He trusted in, in God. He didn't trust in himself. Isn't that beautiful? That, that is good. I just, our flesh so quickly wants to answer the call of moralism. We, we want to demonstrate our worth. God loves us and sees us as we are, a and mixed bag at best. We are a culture that absolutely loves hero stories. Sure, yeah. That's how we function. That's America, and culture. we look for, I mean, how many pro athletes always say, don't make me a role model, mm. don't make me a role model, don't make, because the first thing we do with anybody that shows up is we pedestal eyes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and can't be like wait for Mike. Fall. I want to be like Mike. <laughs> Michael wait. Jordan. Like, right. it, name the yeah. famous person and there's a campaign mm-hmm. or something or whatever yeah. or, or just the media in itself. We love to, to create heroes and idolize them and be like them and follow them. And, and so it's really easy for our kind of Western, our American world to, to create heroes out of any and everybody and we do it with biblical characters and yeah you think that's a a western i I think it's global yeah i mean every culture 
uh, does uh, that, don't you think? No. Um, I'm sure it's because I'm sure Asian it's cultures very, are more community driven. I'm, than yeah, individual I'm sure Western. there's a there's an element that's of the human, our human nature yeah. to look to to those that do great things and then want to be like like I mean, if you think of military leaders over the years and those sorts yeah. of things, but a lot of those came from that person trying to make themselves looking back like a um, like a world like a Napoleon. Somebody like that. It's it's their media. They're trying to make themselves the hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a little bit of what we do is we love to to make heroes, mm. <laughs> even when people don't want to be one. Right. Particularly in scripture. Yeah. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. I'm not even getting Fix into the, eco- on Jesus. the economics and why. You know. What do you got? Well, I just want to say because this is the question. This is the only question I think that is directed from yesterday. Well, I guess the next one kind of is. Anyway, first of all, it was so good. Mm. And I will, um, there is a series of books on the five women because you said four and I know you were thinking Mary is the fifth technically. But um, there's a really good series if anybody wants to go deeper on the five women who are listed in the genealogy. It's a historical fiction um, reference. It's called the Lineage of Grace by Francine Rivers. Oh, she's a good author. Oh, it is probably one of my favorite series. So give the title again. The Lineage of Grace. Maybe I can send it to Matt to put in the show notes. There you go. The Lineage of Grace. And she covers all five women. Mm. One of the things that hit me yesterday that even after reading these books and you know hearing messages on um, these five women in particular, the four women that you spoke of yesterday, um, your point of God can still... Um, there's no victim or victimizer too far that God and, you know, that Jesus can't redeem. I mean, that story, that theology does not get old. And I just hope everyone, I hope Mm. it sunk deeply into our own spirits yesterday. But something I never had thought of before was the four women that you spoke of yesterday, all were somehow, Ruth is sort of the exception, but they were all entangled in sexual sin. And Ruth wasn't entangled in sexual sin, but she, you know, she laid at the feet of Boaz, you know. Yeah, it's a seduction scene. Exactly. And so there was some sort of element of like sexuality and involved in her story Mm -hmm. until you get to Mary. Mm. And Mary was a virgin. And so like the contrast of those five women, four of them being, you know, redeemed and, and used still in the lineage of Jesus until you get to Mary and the fact that she was a virgin and not wrapped up in any sort. I just, for some reason, that hit me so strongly yesterday because yeah. the theme yeah. of, um, you know, sexual sin amongst those four women, some are clearly more obvious than others, was so, like, evident. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And it just really struck me that Mary is the virgin. Mm-hmm. That's a good thought. Yeah. It was kind of profound for me. Yeah. Well, speaking of genealogy, let's go to the next question. Going through the genealogy of Jesus on Sunday made me wonder whether GEBC takes a position on young earth versus old earth creationism. <laughs> All right. So it, if for our other listeners, I'm guessing <laughs> this seems out of the blue. I don't understand the connection, but yeah, maybe I'll so explain it. If you, can't, if, you, if you start into counting the generations, you're like, okay, so we've got three sets of 14. That's 42 generations. Mm-hmm. Or it should be. It's actually not. There's only 41 names listed. Uh, scholars wrestle with, well, is, is there a name missing? 
Anyway, the point to be had here is a listener is, was actually apparently provoked thinking, well, how far back do we go? Mm. Are we a young yes. earth church? Are we an old earth church? And so, um, first of all, the first statement I want to make is the symmetry of 14 generations, three sets of 14, um, <clears throat> 14 between Abraham and David, uh, 14 David to Babylon, and then Babylon to Jesus, three sets of 14. That symmetry is, is um, created. It's not. So history writing in the ancient world, we cannot put our historic, our, our expectations for what history writing should look like on the ancient world. Uh, we have to understand how they wrote history. And they wrote history to make um, a point. Uh, and it wasn't simply the point of reporting the facts, the historical facts, which is what our history writing is. We want to report the histor historical facts. We create the data or present the data. We don't create it. This author, Matthew, is trying to make the point that Jesus is in the line of Abraham and David, and he doesn't feel the pressure, expectation to actually list every generation. He's creating symmetry. There's a, almost a poetry here to it. Mm -hmm. And so the question stands. You can ask your old earth, young earth question. It stands. But I just want to point out that we, sh we can't take this as only 42 generations back to Abraham. Yeah. Okay. We do not take an official position on the science. I'm emphasizing the word science. We don't take an official position on the science of the origins of the earth at Glowing Bible Church. Doesn't mean that I'm without a position, Kelly as an individual, or John, or Simone, or Matt. I'm, we probably all have our thoughts on it. And as so we don't take an official position. It's not a part of our statement of faith. The elders have never uh, debated it and landed in a position. The position we take, we do have, we do have a position on the theological essentials uh, that come out of the origin story of Scripture. And so the theological essentials out of Genesis 1 and 2 would be things like, well, we know that God created how he created, we actually don't take a position. We don't say uh, whether he um, created uh, slowly over time, old earth, or rapidly, uh, young earth. So we, the theological essential that man and woman are created in the image of God, we, we hold that uh, firmly, that we're distinct from the other animals, that... Uh, Adam the, received and Eve received the, the image of God, the stamp of God uh, on their person and, and all of humans after them. And then uh, things like marriage and family out of the origins account, Genesis 1 and 2. It, it's clear that God had a design for marriage. Marriage was his idea. Family was his idea. So theological essentials out of the origins account, yes, but we don't have a scientific position. How important do you do you guys feel it's it is to like how how do you hold your positions on this topic uh, firmly loosely are you open do you are you just done with it so you moved on we're with talking it? about science <laughs> you're talking about science but old, old earth, earth young, new, yeah. old earth young earth like I've personally have heard good arguments for both sides that, that so kind of makes sense are you hearing scientific arguments from both sides are you hearing yeah. biblical textual both, arguments both. 
both. I don't believe, and I feel passionate about this, that the Bible was written to talk about science. So I am very skeptical. And I'm in that camp too. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I'm very skeptical. Yeah, using the Bible to say scientifically this is a new earth or scientifically this is an old earth I would be right. not what you would endorse. I think that at that point, remember when we approach the text, we want to approach it in we want to approach it as the original author audience uh, would have intended and would have perceived the world. And our scientific questions, they weren't asking those scientific questions. Sure. And so. And I guess when I talk, when I say, yeah, uh, b biblical evidence, I'm talking like um, when people get more into the Hebrew words, like, well, why would they use this word and here and then the same word in this text, that seems to tell me that, you know, they're not literal days or they are or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, but for me, like I have a position where I feel like uh, old earth is probably makes more sense, but um, I don't stay up at night thinking about it. <laughs> and if so, and if I just was convicted one day of, by whatever means like, Oh, it's new. Earth, I'd be like, okay, great. New earth. Then let's go. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, yeah, I think, yeah, I think uh, one of the problems in this arena and, and I grew up in some, uh, some of these conversations a little bit um, that things like old earth, evolution, um, all those sorts of conversations were, um, were uh, heresy or calling into question the validity of scripture, like a, the, those kind of a slippery slope well, if you question, the Bible says it was done in six, seven, days. In six days, and you're questioning that it might have been done over six million years, or that, you know, something like God used, yeah, I'm just throwing everything out there, God used the Big Bang, or, you know, right. like God used um, intelligent design. Yeah. Um, it was like, no way are you going to go to heaven, you know, <laughs> right, like this yeah. idea that those things, and, and it comes out of a season in our country not too long ago where we had a trial for somebody who taught evol evolution, it, right? Yeah, uh, and Scopes so monkey trial. Yeah, and so I don't think that the church has always handled this very well, and they've made non-salvific issues, salvific mm -hmm. issues, mm -hmm. yep. and it's driven people away from the church, it, and at times has made the church, I'm using Big C Church, not Glen Allen Bible Church, it has times made the church look foolish mm -hmm. in some ways, and, and, not, and unapproachable, and cultish, and all these these um, these things, and I, I think the church has done a better job in recent history. Not all churches, a better job in recent history of of saying things like Kelly has said that this is not a textbook to teach science. This is a this is a book to teach about God's love and grace towards us. Yeah, redemptive history <laughs> and redemption. Yes, and so um, I, I think that's really important to 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 make the things that are essential essential and to work really hard at leaving room for things that aren't essential to be, to be just that. Right. Like in, in the same way, conversely, like if you pick up a modern day science book and you're looking for poetry, you, you might find something, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's really you good. might yeah, find good. something, that helps. Yeah. but it's not poetry. Right. 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 
and and I think we've done some some I think modern scholars and theologians uh, who are 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 doing some phenomenal work in helping us understand the where some of these texts come from. I think of things like the Dead Sea Scrolls, stuff recently discovered yeah. that are helping us. Yeah, really cool. Really, really powerful <laughs> and cool stuff, helping us. Uh, uh, um, add some validity to, to what we're reading in scripture and uh, the context and the archaeology and the, the, all those things that are, a lot of that is, some of it is a, is a modern work. So, yeah. Simone? <laughs> I've, never, I've never studied it. Nothing, <laughs> never even thought twice about it. I mean, yeah. that's not true. I thought about it twice. T- Right now, I have. I'm like, oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think it, the, the important word is if you're demonizing someone for believing in old earth, or you didn't, that's it, there's no place for that. Right. There's right. just no place for that. It's, it's not, um, it's, it's, it, I've heard people on both sides truly, fully honor God and give a beautiful picture for who he is. Yeah. And that's all that matters in this discussion. I, I'm not trying to just sweep it under the rug and say, you know, it's not, it's not at all Even, important. But at the same time, man, it, if, we, if we start having trials and making fights and saying you can't yeah, go to heaven, I mean, it's like, goodness gracious, that's not what this is about. Yeah. Right. Where does it stop? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess there's probably, right, there's probably some issues that are non-salvific that um, wherever you land might make it harder to be in a church community if that church is largely on the other side of your issue. If it's this a, doesn't seem like one of them. Well, it could be. Yeah, it could be. But for do you some. see this? But no. But I mean, do you? I, and what I mean is, um, in through like the preaching and the theology. Yeah, there are people taught, in DuPage County that would be uncomfortable uh, with the pulpit, uh, the church not having a position on this. There are people in DuPage County. There are churches in DuPage County that says that say if you're not literal six day creationist. Sure you are mishandling the text. Okay. Mm. So if you're a hyper... Yeah. Young Earth. Old, young Earth or New Earth than... Yeah. Uh, or Old Earth than... Yeah. Yeah, if I've you're seen, hyper, right? I've like seen... If, um, if you're vigilant... If, I'm just saying that theology <laughs> doesn't come through in your preaching. A whole I've lot. seen... Yeah, ap- right, it hadn't... It, of late, but I did preach through Genesis some years ago, and, uh, you know, I'm painted... I, I don't think Genesis is about science, uh, science at all, as we understand modern science. Yep. And, and I, it unnerved some people. It bothered them. And hmm. Because they wanted you to be firm? Yeah. If, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, that I've makes sense. I've seen some of the applications that we've had come in in the pastor, campus pastor, some highlight in their bio, I am a, I'm a, a new earth seven day. Wow. Um, and we know immediately they're not going to be at ease here. You and put I, that on your resume, <laughs> right. and, and it's I, more important to you <laughs> okay. than it is to us. You're not going to fit culturally. At the same time, I've seen church profiles looking to hire, you know, as we're in the hiring process, and we're looking, that are looking for people who are only uh, new earth. Okay, so they would say then that it does creep into theology. With oh, preaching yeah. it's, in, or oh, it's yeah. important okay. to their culture and and theology of the they church. They would say your hermeneutics, your signs of interpretation, you're handling the text poorly. Yeah. And they would say, if you get Genesis 1 and 2 wrong, then you get the Gospels wrong. Yeah. Where else are you willing to compromise that the Word of okay. God yeah, might not be sense. direct? Yeah. What, what do you call that? Word for word. What's Lit- it called? Literal? Yeah, literal translation, but there's a, yeah. Mm, I'm drawing a blank. Every word is in its exact meaning. Oh, inerrant. Yeah, inerrant. Because yes, okay. yeah. I was thinking like, you know, 
if you are a hyper Calvinist or, um, or not like what, you know, I could see that, um, because it's creeping into almost an every Sunday experience yes. from the pulpit. Those are theologies that bear heavily on your view of salvation. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Yes. Like, and I, yes. for me, I don't put this so they in do. that kind of category. There are people but, that do, and right. they do because of the hermeneutics, the the grammar, the context, the way you handle ancient texts. Yeah. Um, and they're saying if you handle Genesis one and two poorly, then you're only going to you're going to handle the gospels poorly and it in the application of the epistles and yeah, yeah and and I would say I think you're right and I think you're doing a really bad job <laughs> but it's not something and and I know I'm I'm in a privileged position I I get to stand in the pulpit yeah so um anyway all right um okay let's go to the final question so who is qualified to lead on what basis does the church exclude anyone from leadership if God worked through even Abraham, the liar, and David, the adulterer slash murderer? Isn't it hypocritical to exclude some from leadership if God's grace is greater than all our sin? No, it's not <laughs> hypocritical. Um, it's a great question, mm-hmm. and I, it's excellent. And I, that's, I tried to go out of my way to talk about description versus prescription, um, I would hope that a sermon focused on celebrating the grace of God would never be licensed to sin. Mm-hmm. I, I would pray that no one would say, I guess I'm good to go uh, since God's grace is greater than all my sin. I'll just keep sinning. I can't, I can't strain the grace of God. It, he, he's always greater. And so we need to remember that God punished the sins of King David, there were real consequences to Abraham lying about Sarah's relationship to him. Uh, David's sin, frankly, it jeopardized God's covenant work in history. It put the covenant in jeopardy. His entire family was upended. Uh, it divided the kingdom. It was, it was horrible, horrible outcomes to his sin. And so, Lord, have mercy on us if we hear about your grace and, and give ourselves a pass because we know that sin leads to death. So to say that God works through anyone is not the same as saying that anyone can serve in leadership. Um, I like to talk about being game ready. I mean, some people are ready to lead and others are not ready to lead and that readiness is based on character. And so... Uh, there are clear character expectations outlined in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 5, that talk about the character expectations on those who lead in the church. So those that are sexually moral, maritally faithful, good managers of their household, uh, people that are humble, gentle, peaceable, reasonable, sober-minded, financially responsible, hospitable, self-controlled upright basically in character above reproach so no one there's no scuttle there's no smoke around their lives mm-hmm. no one's saying yeah he's or she is in leadership at their local church but did you hear x mm-hmm. so these folks are to be spiritually mature and so we we can should and do vet our leaders and we do that in an ongoing fashion i mean it is well, let's be frank it is the role of the elders of Glenelg Bible Church to keep an eye on 
the pastoral leadership, the folks that were paying good money to shepherd God's flock vocationally. And, and it's a recognition that we could get entangled in sin along the way. It's not a, a one-time, he or she's ready to lead, and then they're good to go forever. We, we're to care for each other ongoing. So it's, it's a real point of passion for mine and, uh, of mine, and I'll readily admit, you know, having uh, 27 years in ministry, uh, there were seasons of, that, you know, I went through hard seasons of feeling less game ready, uh, feeling depressed. You know, I, I joke about a dark season in the pulpit where my, my, my sermons were kind of, you know. Uh, so I, I just think, you know, yeah, yeah, we rightly vet our leaders. Is there a, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I might be asking this question on behalf of the question asker, um, but yeah, I mean, is there a situation where somebody should just be outright fired, oh, let sure. go from church yeah. leadership? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We've, yes. Yeah. I mean, and, because you could say like, well, wait a minute. Um, and, and that's an you know, look mercy. at all these people who experience grace in the Bible and they did right. heinous things and they still experience yeah. grace. Yeah. Why don't we extend grace to this person who yeah. did grace, X, Y, Z? Yeah. Great question. But grace is not in competition with firing. Hmm. It's actually a mercy to someone's soul. We're, we, we have, we've, we've been given a finite amount of money. Our budget's what? Like $2.3 million. We pay good money for shepherds to do good work around here, and if you're not game ready, if you've actually, in these cases, sinned against the body of Christ, you've, you've, you've taken the, the salary dollars you've been paid, and you've spent your time sinning against the congregation, it's not in your best interest for the congregation to look past that. So firing someone who has not, who, who sinned against the congregation is actually a mercy to that person's soul. Mm. And it's not in competition with showing that person grace. They could be restored. In fact, we, we work really hard at Glowing Bible Church to restore folks that have become entangled in sin. And it's not always a cut and dry situation that they'll get fired. We have fired several around, uh, our several historically that were caught in sin. Uh, it's not a cut and dry issue. The, the elders process that through discernment and prayer. But man... Um, the burden of leading and shepherding can be crushing. And let's be, let's be honest, it is crushing when your soul is not in a state to bear that burden. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you do damage to yourself and you actually cannot be repaired <laughs> while you're bearing that shepherding burden. You, you have to be, you have to go to the bench. You have to go to the sidelines. Um, so were you asking if there's a, like a... <laughs> Did I answer the wrong question? I feel like maybe no, I, you've spent some time thinking about this, Kelly. <laughs> maybe. That was so descriptive. Maybe, and, maybe uh, a little bit of, of experience. Non-meandering. <laughs> um, uh, could you tell us more about how you feel? <laughs> Were you asking if there's, uh, if there's a permanent disqualification? Mm. Is that kind of what you're asking? Like, you're just fired, you're done. One and done? I, I don't think I was asking like a specific scenario. I guess I was just kind of kind of trying to climb into the mind of this question asker, it, it, like, uh, would they have an issue with someone being fired from church for X, Y, Z, 
Uh, if, I see. Because they would maybe be looking at the scriptures saying, yeah. look at all of these folks. David yeah. didn't get who, fired. Yeah. Right. right. Like right. he kept his job and look what he did. And he still experienced God's mercy and well, grace. And, I, you know, I, we could talk about some of the, the uh, people listed in Paul's epistles mm-hmm. that, um, that didn't, didn't, didn't fare so well. <laughs> no. <laughs> the ones who, who kept money and lied. And, oh, yeah. And what Paul says yeah. about them and. Right, I've right. given them over to things and they're yeah, handed them over to Satan. They've been, so there are examples right. of people who, who lost their way in ministry and leadership. There are examples of people who came back as Absolutely. well. And we don't know the restoration process. We just know their name was there. Then it was in a bad spot. And then, then it, was it was in back, there again. Right. John Mark's a great example. <laughs> I'm just going to say John Mark's a perfect example. So we talked a little bit about this in Colossians because there's some names that come up. Mm-hmm in the, you know, Demas and some of these other folks that kind of the world. Exactly. So (laughs) anyway, I, there are examples. We don't know the restoration process. We don't know what Paul was doing. You know, those, 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 uh, those sorts of things. I do think though, there's some in our modern world, like, okay, so somebody commits, um, let's say they, they're in charge of finances at a church. They steal a whole bunch of money. They do some really ugly, bad things with God's money. And they go through a process of, of restoration to deal with the, the sin and ask for forgiveness. And we have a very lengthy, laid out, restoration. detailed restoration process, restoring to fellowship, then restoring to ministry, ministry. Restoring, restoring to, to lead, vocation. Yeah, to, <laughs> Step one. Like Step if one someone's to, on staff yes, and then and not, they do and this, then back in, it, integrated back on Potentially, staff. Right. or to another place, gotcha. you know, where as sure. a church we feel, okay, we can... I would have reservations about putting that person back into ministry in the exact same role with the exact same amount of responsibility Mm. that they had when they Mm -hmm. stole money from the church. Mm -hmm. So being restored to ministry or coming back to me doesn't necessarily mean into the exact same place they were before. They might be able to to serve in a, in a, in a different role vocationally or in a, in a way that they don't have the same access and, and that's just, some of that's just common sense of somebody's past, you know, issues doesn't mean they, they aren't fully restored to, to ministry, but, but we're not putting them right back in (laughs) to the, to the shark tank. Right. John and I sat with a man this morning that, uh, he kind of identified, you know, that, those that fail in vocational ministry, paid staff guys, folks, uh, they need a five-year window Mm. and they need to um, go through a process that helps them discover um, the root of their temptation and, and, and demonstrate growth and uh, strength to stand against and to have that root healed. And yeah. That's good. Mm -hmm. There's right. probably a difference too between a paid staff person and vocational memory ministry versus a leader you have as a volunteer, right? That's going to look different how you walk Agreed. with that person through whatever Agreed. it is that they're struggling with or, yeah. and it just, it bears the responsibility to not become legalistic in mm-hmm. your shepherding, right? Like yeah. it's this sense of you have to look a certain way. There's, you know, it's a very, it's not very black and white. There's, um, mm-hmm. 
there's a, there's a there's a place for a lot of grace when you're shepherding leaders. There is, and there's a lot of discernment required mm-hmm. in the disciplinary process. And mm-hmm. discipline is never a, simply about punishment. Mm-hmm. It can feel punishing to those that are receiving the discipline. It's it's not pleasant to quote the New Testament at the time you're receiving it, but it's always for the growth, the good of the individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there is, mm-hmm. Simone. You're right. Mm-hmm. It, every situation is unique mm-hmm. and requires patient. Galatians 6 1 uh, talks about you who are spiritual, restore them gently and be careful that you don't fall into the same temptation. Yeah. You've talked about that before that discipline can be loving. It all, and, all discipline and non-discipline be. can be unloving, yeah, I guess is maybe the, the easier way to say it. Great point. Yeah. It's hard. Right. That's all I know. It's that really is. hard. Yeah, I was actually mm-hmm. thinking that we keep we're talking about restoration and people, you know, vocational ministers, but I mean I've spent some time learning about what your work in Naomi's house mm-hmm. and restoration. And mm-hmm. I was watching a video on your website the other day and someone was just talking about the um, kind of the, the difficulty day in and day out mm-hmm. in, in restoration, what that actually looks like and how do you keep the finish line in mind and the actual, the individual person's, um, you know, what they actually need on a day-to-day, mm-hmm. um, day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And it's not, the work you're doing, Simone, is, I mean, that's not easy work. It's not easy work. You've heard me say it before, but it, we always say it's like a ministry of perseverance. Like it's just <laughs> being with people day, one day at a time, and you yeah. see a lot of progress, you see a lot of setbacks, and not totally, you know, applicable to what the question is here, but there is a, there is some similarities when it comes to um, not disciplining people. It's by nothing that we do when it comes to our residents. I was actually thinking more about staff and how uh, yeah. challenging it is to want to see staff succeed in their role, but also having that balance of, is this good for the ministry? How long do we let this person struggle? Um, I know I always have to remove myself from the situation, even though I'm the one a lot of times having to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, what you know, So... It's just hard. That's all. I was, my, my point is, it's really hard to yeah. to walk alongside people for the long term, yeah. whether it's staff or, in my case, residents as well. Restoring the broken, mm. part, of the, part know, of the ministry mm-hmm. target. We talk about, around here, we do four things. We proclaim the gospel, equip believers, uh, restore the broken, and send out disciples. Mm. And so restoration is 25% or more of what we need to be doing. And we're all broken. We mm. all need restoration. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the next level. Boom! Prophecy.